This is Seba, the Southern Fried Witch, and this is episode 15 of season 2. Before we get started today, y'all, I wanted to thank all of uh, my new Patreon subscribers. You guys are awesome, and it's mattering so much. We had quite a lot of new technology I had to add to the mix over here, and honestly, without Wolf Braun, I don't know what I would do right now. We have new microphones, we have new speakers, and we have all kinds of other new platforms that I'm trying to learn, and it's kind of scary, and hopefully everything will get better and better. But in the interim, you all are really helping me. We need to make this thing self-sustaining, and it is mattering to me and my family and my tech guy, who has pretty much funded this entire endeavor. So, the new shout-outs, and thank you for being part of the Patreon family. That is my friend Cresta, Jana, Tammy, Sarah, Catherine, and Amanda. Y'all, this is so much fun. And we're sharing pictures over here on the Patreon page because it's so much easier for me. And it feels a little bit more private. So, if y'all want to join us, you can find the link at the end of this podcast in the episode notes or over on my website. Okay, let's get into it. There was a very special listener question I got, and while this is not necessarily a listener episode, I've decided to go ahead and talk about it. My friend Aisling, well, she's my friend now, has written to me about starting off in the craft, and I want to get into this at some point, especially when we are talking about new witches, call them novices, call them baby witches, but I think what's more important is to let them decide what they want to be called. And all of the prescriptors we are putting on these new witches and asking them to adhere to when they didn't sign up for that. There is something very sacred about the craft, something very, well, personal about it. And I don't reckon it's cool that so many folks are out there slapping around that nunstick and slapping hands and hollering about what's right and what's wrong. Y'all, can we please back off these witches? Anyway, we'll see how far I want to go with that. Aisling has asked me a question. Well, nope, she's asked me quite a lot of questions and we're going to talk about them. The first one, let's kind of dig into the details of. She says, I have always loved cooking and baking. In fact, I started my business in January of last year, just before the pandemic hit. In the reading I've done, I'm finding that things I've done all my life are considered part of witchcraft. I guess you could say I'm a kitchen witch. With some cottage eclectic mixed in, is it necessary to just follow one path? I've seen articles where they say that you have to study for a year and a day before you call yourself a witch. Do you follow that as well? Can you choose your own witch name? Do you have to wait a certain length of time? And then, of course, she signs off with her sweet blessed bee. So let's get into these ideas. Aisling, right off the bat, let me say that I am several kinds of witch, too. 
I can't imagine applying monoculture to something as sacred as the craft. Let's see. I do root work. I do some traditional work. I really lean towards a lot of the native practices of this land, but I also incorporate the Celtic. Um, I'm a kitchen witch, but I'm also a garden witch and a hedge witch and a green witch. And sometimes I'm a sex magic witch. It depends on where I'm leaning that day. It depends on my skill set. It depends on what I'm focusing upon. And so my answer would be, yes, you can be several different kinds of witch. Now, I'm not sure that that would apply to every path or every kind of witchcraft. There are different paths and they require different things. But for me, and because you asked me, I would say, yeah, honey, do you. Whatever, however you can access the divine, however you feel that way, go ahead. As to your second question, I don't really follow that whole, you have to wait a year and a day to call yourself a witch. I believe that we have way more autonomy than that. However, there are paths that are very respectable in the craft that do adhere to that. I personally do not. If you feel like you're a witch, you are a witch. Now, I'm fairly certain that in Gardnerian Wicca, that is a thing, and I think it would be best to speak to somebody in that path in order to get a clear understanding of what that's about. But the whole year-in-a-day thing hells back far. Back in feudal societies, if you were off your land for a year and a day, well, legally, you might have lost that land. And I know a lot of other cases in which that would be, you know, you'd passed a year having not done something or having done something, and it would become, well, legal ground to stand on. However, I personally do not see the need to wait a year and a day. If you feel that you're a witch and you are operating as one, regardless of how long you've been doing it, then, well, I don't know. Are you a witch? Because to me, that is something that you would answer in your own heart and for your own self. And if nobody respects that, honey, I do. And that doesn't matter very much. What matters is how do you feel? Where do you stand on that? Because if you identify as a witch, that is what I'm going to call you. How about that? Hey, y'all. I'm breaking in here to my own recording. And the reason is because I released this early over on my Patreon page for those people who are at the cauldron level, and I listened to it, and I ended up arguing with myself about something. So I felt duty-bound to come back in here and talk about it. While I do not feel that it is my right to help determine someone's identity, I do have more thoughts on this. You see, to me, feeling the call of being a witch is very private and very sacred, and I just don't think you can get... Well, a piece of paper that would determine that status for you. It may determine where you've learned to. It may determine a certain level that you have totally earned with a coven. It may be something that you feel that you've worked through to a certain place in your life and in your craft. And therefore, you want to call yourself this. For me, gatekeeping is not a fun thing, and I I see it thrown around on the internet a lot these days, and I don't want to be a gatekeeper. 
However, where I felt duty-bound was I was asked here what I thought about it. To be crystal clear, I don't hold to the year in a day because it's not part of my tradition. However, any student that has studied with me does go through certain levels. They're private. I don't discuss them on the airwaves. But I reckon that one of the reasons other folks out there might get a little bit irritated with someone calling themselves a witch on day one might be because a whole lot of us have worked hard and put in quite a bit of study in our craft. And we understand it to be worthy of being called a craft. And that there are some things out there that you just don't want to be messing with without a little learning under your belt. I've heard that maybe it's better to call yourself, let's see, a novice or a witch in training or all manner of things. I don't really want to subscribe to any of that because I really don't want to also determine what another person is allowed to call themselves or identify for themselves. But I do want to speak to the idea that a witch is someone who understands that this is a powerful gift, that this is a wonderful craft, but it comes with a certain amount of dedication. So I would not bypass those foundational learning blocks that you need to get through. I just want to be crystal clear about that. Now, whether you coven up or whether you remain solitary, as so many witches are doing these days, that's up to you. If you are solitary, however, there are so many wonderful books out there. And there are ways to do your own research and kind of put yourself through a bit of training before you go all willy-nilly into the magical world. I hope that makes a little bit of sense. I'm not going to argue about someone calling themselves a witch. I did want to come back in here and say part of being one means to me anyway that you've given it enough time and study that you feel that you're in a place to call yourself that. I hope that makes sense. Okay, back to the podcast. Finding that witch name, when, where, and how. I'm seeing still a lot of prescriptive ideas in this question, and I'm sure that I would feel the same way. Now, I've known mine for an extraordinarily long time. (laughs) And, you know, this is also something that will well up within you. And some paths and some covens and some traditions, this is something that would be given to you. And my path and the way I've studied and the way that I teach It is something that comes to you. So it's very, again, sacred. And these have-tos, I don't know. I don't necessarily ascribe to any of that. See, this gets into dogma for me. And I have fought against dogma and the craft for so long. If I wanted dogma, I would go to church down the road. There are plenty of them out here for me to pick from. I reckon there's at least, and I'm not kidding, six or seven on the road that leads up to my house. And that kind of dogma is what kept me away from quite a lot of that normative Christian religion. I love Christians. I'm just not so crazy about the church. So that's up to you again. If that is something you need, those kinds of, um, I guess, structure, there are paths that will absolutely help put those in place. And I'm certainly not disparaging those paths or those traditions. I'm just personally maybe the wrong one to ask because I find that, you know, we do rituals out here. Um, 
I have witches that have come to me, oh gosh, one of them over 11 years ago, and literally got to see them grow up into the world and become a priestess. And what I find the most beautiful about those moments is seeing her sit outside in her safe place, really grounding and opening herself up to one of the most beautiful mysteries there is in the craft. And that was, what is my name now? I reckon she did that probably about only two months in. And I also remember that about seven years in, she felt a calling that her name had changed. And that was fine. But there's something about identity that I really don't like letting other people have a hold of, if you know what I mean. I would never deem myself to be over such a sacred moment. I was just lucky enough to be there when she found out who she was. I thank you for giving me the opportunity to talk about that, Aisling. But I really think it might be a good idea to go looking and researching and reading some books on these subjects. Educate yourself as much as you want. But at the end of the day, just be really true to yourself. Don't lose who you are in all of this. All right, now let's run over to one more real quick, and then I'm going to get into another uh, spiel. My friend Sarah T., She writes, I'm so glad to have you back on the podcast. I've missed your voice and wisdom. I'm so thankful for your friendship. I have a question that has been rolling around in my head lately regarding my regular practice. I know this may sound strange, but I worry about my magic being too effective of having power I don't really know how to use properly. I don't really have a witch mama. Well, I do have you, but I don't have you on my porch every night to ask advice from. And I worry that I'm begging willy-nilly with the spells I cast. I work off my intuition, and I do not feed into dogma. But on that note, how do you gain confidence within your own magic? I'm a relatively new witch, and I'm just looking for some sage guidance. Thanks in advance. Love you like chickens. It really tickles me that she does that. Hearing my own little thing coming back at me. All right. Well... That whole thing I went through in episode 13, Sarah, you know, you're part of the balance. And I'm sure that you're thinking this out a little overly because if you're that worried about it, you're probably not hurting anything. You know, we've got to learn how to trust ourselves. And it's important to do small, magical moments so that we can assess and kind of gauge what we're getting done. And that could be anything from... Hmm. Let's see. Finding your keys to thinking at somebody really hard and seeing if you can get their attention. Maybe they'll give you a phone call to seeing if a tree limb would lean toward you if you called to it and wanted to be friends. These little tiny moments help you kind of, well, ascertain what your strength and what your powers really are. I would practice a lot on the little things. That's what I would do. You know, I've been doing this since I was a little girl, so it's a little harder for me to to teach that. I've always said that I love beginning witches because they have so many sparkles in their eyes and they're so excited. But at the same time, it's really hard to tell another witch how to do what you do, you know, especially when we're staying away from things like dogma. You know what I also would suggest, honey, is go get you a good journal. Just track this stuff. Put out what the moon phase was, how you were feeling, 
get all that dated and then keep a record of it. I do this with my garden. You know, what went well, what didn't go so great, what I wish I'd done, how I've developed a certain seed over time, all kinds of things like that. Well, your relationship with your own magic and your own processes, that's got to be one of the most critical, sacred relationships you'll ever have. So that would be one way I would start to weigh that and sort of measure that, if you will. And you know, it's awfully satisfying to go and look back in these things about a year or two years later. One of the things I love looking at the most is, um, you know, where the stars were that night and how the moon was that night, what was going on in the world and seeing how that really does affect something. I've been able to track a pattern before this way. I've been able to really assess where my magic is peaking and where it's pulling back during the moon phases. You know, we're all different animals. We're all different witches. There's no perfect moon to do anything in. Sorry, y'all. I know I'm pissing off folks, but a good witch, and meaning an effective one, can use any moon out there. But, you know, we're also wonderful organic creatures. Some of them just work better for us. So run, go get you your own little journal that just looks at your magic, just records it and thinks through it. There you go, honey. I have about 20 of them, and they're a lot of fun. I mean, you can always use another journal. Thanks for writing in, honey. I almost forgot that last thing. How do you gain confidence? Well, I think I did answer that. If you can have all this down in record and you can see where you're most effective, that's going to happen and confidence is going to come in time. Well, let me let you know that no matter how old you get in the craft, well, if I'm going to be honest about mine, there's always going to be a little blip in the screen where you're not sure of yourself. That is normal. You're just another witch out there working through things and learning your own path. Keep that journal and let me know what you think your strengths are. I know you got them. Y'all, both of those questions were very specifically witchy in nature, and I'm sure y'all appreciate that after several episodes of me talking about gardening and the like, but it all kind of leads up to me thinking about the witches, duh. Yep, the witches, duh. This moment where we forget that we are magical, where we do not listen to our instincts, Those are natural instincts that are embedded in our frame or body or spirit, however you want to put that. And they're sort of the first place that we will fall as witches. I can't tell you how many times I went, oh my God, I didn't even think about casting for that. Or I ignored that feeling. And now look, now all kinds of folks get these instincts, all kinds of folks get these moments. And I don't know if it's daily life or just the way the world beats us down that we forget to be part of our own witchy bodies. But I can tell you that if I walk in one of those coops, I don't know what it is. I can tell if one of my babies in there is going to die. It's not so much of an aura. It's not what I'm seeing because sometimes you just can't tell. It's a feeling I get. I notice them over all the other chickens and guarantee that chicken will be passed away the next day. 
And this has happened for sick chickens. It's happened for old ones. It really doesn't matter. I just know. It's like my eyes immediately go to that particular baby girl and they're going to be gone within 24 hours. I always give them extra love. I always tell them what they meant to me because I know it. And no amount of saving them going to the vet, which I have done. I've spent over $400 trying to save a chicken. Yes, I am that dumb lady. I'm not dumb. I'm just really eccentric. But yeah, these moments happen. I've also been granted a very new gift that I don't think I had nurtured within myself or didn't have before. And I think I've talked about it before, but I am getting old and I don't remember for sure. But I was raising out a bunch of little baby chicks in the back of our house, another room. And my husband had been working on the pipes of the bathroom And the back side of those pipes led to a closet that was in this room. And he had forgotten, bless it, to put the wood back up over those pipes. Now, we live out in the country, and I mean that. This also means that that particular little section of the wall, that pipe, went all the way to our cellar, and it went all the way to our attic. I have all these little baby chicks back there growing out. I was so excited. They were Harriet's babies. I'd intended on dispatching the rooster that's in with Harriet because he's a mean little bastard and I would like to make him into a soup most days. He bites, he flogs, it's quite horrible, but he's my only hope to get Harriet's babies. And we had gotten seven girls and two boys. And that was just an amazing ratio. I don't know if y'all raise chickens, but usually you get a whole lot of damn roosters you got to figure out what to do with. So here we are. I'm very happy. One of them was my favorite. She was a white frizzle cochin. And all of mine are bantam. So they're just little nuggets. They're so tiny. You would love them. But anyhow, I had a nice little mesh over their cage so they, you know, couldn't fly out. I mean, they try to hop out very early in life. They had the whole bedroom to themselves in this wonderful long cage. And one night I was falling asleep. And you know that place, that twilighty little state we get into. And it was right as I was starting to slip into sleep, but I was not yet there. And all of a sudden, as if someone had taken a Polaroid picture and slid it across my vision, I saw that little white frizzle baby. I think she was only two weeks old. I saw her lying dead with her feet stretched out behind her stiff. And I jerked awake and I went, what the hell? Because I'd never had such an unbelievably clear vision of anything in my entire life. And I wasn't quite asleep, but I was so tired. I jerked up and I sat there and I kind of weighed the whole thing out and I thought to myself, y'all, bat children, here I go. Here is my witch's duh. I thought to myself, that's impossible because they are in the house. I mean, I don't know folks who raise babies out in the house. They are in a bedroom. They are in a cage that has uh, hardware mesh over it and it's linked in tight. There's no way that is true. And I'm exhausted, and I don't know why I've even scared myself like this. And I forced myself to go back to sleep. 
Now I've beat myself up for this over and over and over. Y'all don't need to holler at me. I already know. It has hurt my heart. It has taught me a lesson. Anyway, y'all, I woke up the next day and I got my coffee and I couldn't wait to get back there. They're just so damn stinking cute at that age. And I opened up the door and looked down in that bin, that protected bin. And the first thing I saw, the only death I saw, was this tiny little white frizzled chick laying there with dead, with her legs stretched out behind her, just exactly like I'd seen the night before. And um, the top was just a little bit askew, and hiding in the back underneath the little warmer plate I had going was only one girl left and those two damn roosters. Because that is exactly what my luck looks like. When the wailing and the crying and the going on and hollering finally ended, I told my husband to get back in there and put that piece of wood back up in that closet because that's the only way I could imagine a raccoon or something could have gotten in there and hurt my babies. The problem is, is they were all together missing. That didn't make a lot of sense to me. It occurred to me that a rat snake could have done it. We've had rat snakes out here do that out in the coops outside. But uh, it just seemed awkward to me that he could have had that many to eat and left no trace. Also, I couldn't figure out how he got the lid off. Anyway, we put the wall back up. I chided myself on not believing in my own visions, which is duh. And I went along with my life. Well, about a week later, and they had gotten kindly big in there. I was podcasting back here in my office, and it's the next room over where my chickens were. And all of a sudden, and it was in the heat dead of summer, all of a sudden my air conditioner in this room, we have to use air units, uh, the window units, very old house, and it suddenly went nuts. The temperature kept rising and rising and rising, on the digital readout, and it went all the way up to 98. It made no damn sense, so I leaned over and cut it off for a minute, and then cut it right back on, and I started getting that funny little squiggly feeling in the back of my head, like something was trying to tell me something, but y'all, I was trying to podcast. Back to the witch's duh, ignoring everything going on. Anyway, cut it back on, It went crazy again, and I finally unplugged the damn thing. And when I unplugged it, I heard baby chickens screaming. If that air conditioner had not acted that way, I would have never heard their screams. Now look, how many days later was this? Well, I got my ass up then, and I ran back there. And (laughs) y'all, I love snakes. (laughs) I do. No, I do. I let them live. Um, I've got a garden snake. She's huge. And uh, I won't let anybody hurt them. The only time we do anything with our copperheads, and we have a real copperhead problem out here, we move them. We remove them and we take them the correct distance away. And we, we know that that might hurt them too, but it's better than killing them. And also, I reckon we only did that because they were decided and they were going to be right there by the entrance to our home. And no, no. So (laughs) I love snakes. I just don't love them in my house. And this sucker was working on seven feet long. 
and it was curled up on top of the remaining chickens, and they had their hardware mesh and had her head up underneath that thing and was popping that lid off. And she still had big old lumps in her back from my beautiful baby she'd already eaten. Turns out when he put that piece of wood back up in that closet, we, well, we hammered her in. And I'd been walking in there with a seven-foot snake and didn't know it. I don't know where the hell she hid, but it still kind of gives me shivers down my spine. Now, I won't go too long on what happened next. It had a lot to do with me throwing mason jars at the head of a rat snake and screaming while I hollered at my husband who was at work and totally terrified. I think I peed my pants. So it didn't go well, and it's not a good look for me. And those uh, three chickens, well, two roosters and one hen, are still alive today. And now that one is laying eggs, so... They made it through. I fought that rat snake off of the last remaining girl. Here's the whole point of that. And sort of tying back into Sarah, your particular question on gaining confidence. I don't like the way I gained that confidence. I was totally proven out that my vision was correct. I was totally proven out that the air conditioner was cutting itself off and on. Probably thankful to this wonderful grandma that lives in this house. I don't know how old she is, but she's been here since we arrived. Either way, not listening to my craft. I had it proved out, but you know how much more I would have loved that if I'd gotten my damn ass out of that bed, trusted in my magic, and shocked that snake mid-dinner. I would have loved that. And see, because I didn't trust in my magic and because I didn't believe in myself well enough, even at my age... Well, there were losses. So there you go. That's only one of the witches does I've gone through in my life. If you get a funny feeling about somebody and they make the hair on your arms stand up and everything in you wants to run, by golly, honey, run. Listen to that. You know, animals are so much wiser than us. Listen to that instinct. And you know, if you're walking in the woods and suddenly you feel like you got to stay a little longer, do it. Find out what that is. Let me tell y'all something. Somewhere deep in the winter, right after the pandemic hit, my son felt like he had to go for a walk. Now, it was January and we had just had a horrible freeze happen the night before, I believe. And it was about to get down just as bad that evening. And the sun was about to go down. I think he only had like an hour, maybe. I don't even know if it was a whole hour before the sun went down. And I just highly suggested he didn't go. But he had this weird pull that he had to go then. And he did. He listened to it and he went. About 30 minutes in, I get a phone call. And it's my son. And he said, Mama, so there's this dog. (laughs) And that's the way all kinds of shit starts around my house. There's this dog. Well, there was some abandoned sweet puppy out there. And y'all, we have a real problem out here with dog fighters. And that's the only thing I can think. Well, maybe not. Maybe it was just some really bad, not cool person who did this to this dog. She had had babies. Her nipples were all extended. We couldn't find any... Well, my son couldn't find any puppies. 
said, look, as the sun was setting down and it was getting colder and colder, a hard freeze down here is really rough. And we knew those puppies would die, so he looked everywhere he possibly could. He even went back the next day. So someone had done this, and she was definitely not going to make it out there. There was no shelter. There was no food. She was starving. Y'all know how this ends, right? So she comes back to my house. I temporarily named her Zuzu after that little girl in It's a Wonderful Life. Now, I had a friend from fifth grade that I stayed in contact with, and she was in the market. Her heart was broken. She had lost a dog and really wanted another one. And she took one look at this little pity. And what a tiny little pit this was. I reckon she could have been mixed with something else, but it's really my thinking that she was just, you know, the run of the litter. Anyhow, that little girl's now named Lily. Now, if for any reason my son had not listened to his instincts that day, the story would not have ended up the way it did. And honestly, we probably would not have known about that poor girl out there by herself. If the coyotes hadn't have gotten her, the freeze would have. But how many times do we have these strange instincts? More times than I can count, honestly. To me, that is a marker of a truly magical life, whether or not you want to call yourself witch. And personally, I've been trying to reclaim the term. I know a lot of us are. And I agree with what my friend said in last week's episode. You know, sometimes you just can't use the word. If we're going to get along and if we're going to make our way through this life, sometimes it has to be, well, shifted. I think she called it code shifting. I love that term. But we all know what it really is, don't we? And just for the record, I'm a witch. And I am not ashamed of that. I do not feel that I'm lesser than anyone else. And I do think that sometimes, well, the world's opinion of us, including other witches, can get a little heavy, y'all. Remember not to lay your head on the bed somebody else done made for you, okay? Make your own. Whatever you're comfortable with whoever you want to be, as long as that thing does not hurt other people or leave a horrible mark on this great earth of ours, well, then you are being yourself. And sometimes, (laughs) when you're a witch, that means you're being magical. All right, y'all. I'm going to get on out of here. I don't know what we're doing for next week, but this week we were just focusing directly on questions about the craft, and I think that's damn fine of us. Keep writing in those stories and those questions, and I don't read the stories unless you tell me I can, and I've been getting lovely stories, somewhere about five to ten a day. I'm not sharing those because you didn't tell me I could. All right? We know the rules. So if you want me to read your story, because it could be cool, well, then let me know that it's okay. And if anybody out there has any beginning baby witch or seeker or novice stories, and y'all want to tell like what that meant to you, some of the ins and outs of how that felt for you and how you navigated those waters, and you want to share it with other witches, write me in. I think that's going to be the theme for Ostara, the fertility of the very new witch. How about that? Y'all send me those stories, but make sure you tell me. Don't forget. Here we go. What name you want me to read online, the exact name, but also what your pronouns are. This matters. I do care about these kinds of things. 
And finally, how much of it or how little of it I can read. All right. Okay. Y'all get out of here. Get off the porch. I got dinner to make. Love y'all. Blessed be. Y'all have been listening to the Southern Fried Witch Podcast. Come back around next week for a little bit more magic from the deep south.